We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Hello and welcome to We the Deplorables, the place for faith, family, and freedom. It's also the place for truth. And today we're going to dive into the subject of China and how it is gaining control in our country, uh, especially through corporations and big tech. I want to first outline a few of the atrocities that the Chinese government is doing, which most are ignoring the mainstream media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google, all of them. And it's for one reason, and that is money. All you have to do is follow the money. It's a very true statement, and we know that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, we're going to get into big tech and censorship and how they um, skewed the election of 2020. But for now, I just want to point out something that I agree, agree with completely from, and I hope I don't mess up his name, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy in his book, Woke Inc., of which I will be referring to a lot in this episode, and I highly recommend. Uh, let me, oh, hang on one second, guys. Let me put one of my microphones, there we go, on mute. That way it doesn't have any feedback. But anyway, uh, I agree with one thing um, for sure, well, actually all of it, that uh, he wrote in his book, Woke, and that is for people like Facebook and Google and Twitter, they don't need more money. It's now power. And that's what they're after. And we're going to dive into that in future episodes. And as promised, we will dive into a Christian's response to President Trump and uh, the election and what uh, I guess you could say went wrong in future episodes as well. I just want to have a little bit more time to uh, get my materials ready. So tonight, this one is going to be hopefully, um, what's the word, coherent, because I'm pulling from a lot of sources and I didn't write my notes as usual because I wanted to get this done tonight and I have been running behind. And uh, so first of all, I want to um, talk about the Wigger situation. Now, um, a lot of these uh, facts, I guess you would say, that I'm going to give you are from articles at the Epoch Times. And if you want real news, Epoch Times, uh, Daily Wire, they're great places to go. But I wanted to read to you a few of these articles, which I'll have in the show notes. This one is um, from September 14th. It was updated September 15th. And the title of it is A Wigger Tribunal Wraps Up Second Hearing Genocide Verdict Expected in December. So I guess there was a tribunal set up. Unfortunately, it doesn't have legal authority, but it's an attempt of various people from different industries, doctors and businessmen, etc., that are trying to bring awareness of what is happening to the Uyghurs uh, in China. And I'll explain who they are in a second, because everybody's ignoring it, and there's a reason they're ignoring it. So the Uyghurs, they are uh, an ethnic minority in the province, I guess you would say, of Xinjiang. Xinjiang. Sorry about that. 
And the tribunal ran in London from September 10th to the 13th, and it was chaired by a prominent British lawyer, Jeffrey Nice, and it came after an initial set of hearings in June where they began to collect eyewitness accounts of their experiences of torture and abuse in the region's network of detention camps, and there's quite a bit. The numbers are estimated at 1 million Uyghurs plus maybe some other ethnic minorities in that group or in addition to, I'm not sure, that are being sent to these detention camps. They've either been there or they are there right now. And uh, what they um, heard from one former detainee, I cannot pronounce this detainee's uh, name. I'll just uh, refer you to the article. But she said that her and other inmates were physically abused during her 98 days in a detention camp in the province. Also, there have been attempts by authorities to strip Wigger detainees of their cultural culture and language, as you know the party did to China, the Chinese and Tibetans during the Cultural Revolution, uh, and then forcing them to denounce their faith and pledge loyalty to the CCP and its leader. If they fail to do that, they'll have several forms of torture as punishment. Uh, they've also um, put people in these detain detainment camps for reasons like contacting friends or relatives abroad, traveling to a foreign country, growing beards, or attending religious gatherings. Another um, person that was in one of these camps recounted how she was forced to take pills, undergo medical checks, have blood samples taken, and was injected with unknown substances. Since then, she's no longer uh, fertile, she's told the uh, tribunal. And let's see here. Let me get to another. Um, let's see. Okay, in Geneva, this is dated September 17th, um, a U.S.-backed Wigger photo exhibit uh, called The Wall of the Disappeared are, was an exhibit that uh, showed people that were missing or alleged to be held in Chinese-run camps in uh, Xinjiang, China. And it opened up in Switzerland on a Thursday to basically highlight the human rights abuses that are going on. Um, Also, you have, again, alleged uh, forced sterilization uh, that's been happening to, unfortunately, these people. And the Chinese communist regime describes these camps as vocational training centers to combat religious extremism. Uh, and then uh, we've got a member or several uh, states that the Chinese regime has urged not to attend the event over the suppression of Uyghurs. Uh, so what what exactly, who are the uh, Wiggers, and let me see if I can find my paper here where I go into who they are because this is very, very important. Now, um, you know, obviously, uh, radical Islam has been a problem for a long time in several countries, including our own. I mean, we can just harken back to 9 11, uh, but that doesn't mean that you put people in camps and torture them. And so um, I looked up the Uyghurs, and basically they are um, Turk uh, Muslims. And so that tells me that they must have some type of Turkish descent. Uh, and I could be completely wrong. It may sound like an idiot. So if y'all find anything you know different on this, please let me know. But uh, they are uh, of the religion of uh, Islam. And, you know, again, I mean, you can voice concern for radicalism, but uh, again, you don't put people in camps uh, call them vocational training and then try to strip them of their faith, their culture, and even their language. The province that they live in is uh, supposed to be autonomous, and that means that you, they have a right of self-rule. But there, here's the deal, and this is where the country of the United States is going if we don't start standing up and taking it back. And that is in socialism, which is the... Um, I guess you would say the immature, the baby in diapers form of communism uh, that will eventually uh, lead to the stripping of any faith apart from the state. Uh, 
So if you, you know, like we've talked about, if you look at Marxism, which is the birthing of socialism, which then gave birth to communism, especially in uh, Lenin's Russia, uh, I mean, I think it's like 10 million plus people have died from the ideals of Marxism. You cannot worship any god but the state. And so they're an atheistic belief set. So for the communist party of China, uh, the CCP, the only God you're allowed to worship is the CCP. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me actually if um, the president, uh, I use that term loosely, we probably should call him a dictator, uh, wouldn't mind probably some worship uh, himself like most dictators desire. But there is no room for any other religion there is no room for uh, free speech. There is no room for a free economy. And, and I don't know who opened the door to China being a part of the UN, uh, the economic system of the world, because since then they have done uh, much harm and have become a powerful enemy. And uh, it probably was Democrat somewhere. I, I need to research that. So we have this situation where there is uh, some genocide that is occurring to people that um, do not believe as the CCP demands. Another thing that uh, I want to highlight is Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a very interesting situation. You know, it's kind of like uh, it was rented by the British for many, many years with the agreement that at some point it would uh, no longer lease Hong Kong and China would take it back over. But uh, it was, you know, a British colony. However, as part of the agreement with China to turn Hong Kong back over to their domain, they were supposed to preserve the autonomy uh, that Hong Kong was promised. Now, I don't know why these leaders keep believing the CCP. I mean, seriously, the only thing I could think of is there's money being exchanged somewhere because surely people cannot be this stupid. Uh, they were promised that they would still have the fundamental freedoms. They would be able to have their democracy, the rule of law that they wanted. Well, since uh, the CCP passed a, passed a national security law and other measures um, to, you know, basically begin suppressing people in Hong Kong, the city police have arrested over 10,000 people for their roles in mass protests in mid-2019 against plans allowing extradition, extradition to mainland, uh, mainland China. You know what that means? You'll never see your loved ones again if you're related to any of the 10,000 people that were then shipped over to China. They're either put in camps or they're put in prison or they're killed. Hong Kong, who, you know, enjoyed democracy until 1997 when it had to go under Chinese communist rule, um, they were promised, uh, you know, obviously these freedoms. And instead, as we've seen with their laws, uh, they have ushered in, um, you know, secret arrests, the suppression of free speech. Uh, we have, uh, um, you know, six, well, a uh, hundred arrests of dissidents leading to more than 60 charges mostly against democratic politicians activists journalists and students uh and have y'all noticed that on the anniversary of tiananmen square that there's no longer any uh, news shows that talk about that that's because they're bought and paid for by china and they're not going to another thing that i discovered that is shocking is the silence of the global media on China, China's forced organ harvesting. Now, let me explain to you what this is. The forced organ harvesting is where people are killed, and then their organs are har harvested, and they go to the biggest um, bidder. I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. This is unbelievable. People are being murdered for their organs. Uh, this article is dated September 25th, 2021. And it's the World Summit on Combating and Preventing Forced Organ Harvesting. And they turned their attention to the uh, silence, the media silence 
of one of the greatest atrocities. It's a billion dollar industry in China. Billion dollar. And the Chinese Communist Party is a gatekeeper of forced organ harvesting. Despite, and I'm quoting from this article, which again is in the show notes, despite incontrovertible evidence, Beijing denies it is currently conducting forced organ harvesting and has gotten the World Health Organization to support the CCP's denials. But the WHO assessment is faulty. According to Lord Hunt in the United Kingdom, it was revealed by the UK government in 2019 that the World Health Organization's assessment is based on China's own self-assessment and that the WHO has not carried out its own assessment of the Chinese organ transplant system. Basically, it's the, uh, what is it, the, um, not the coyote, that's overlooking the um, hen house. What are those called? Good grief. Not coyote. Well, anyway, hopefully you guys know what I'm talking about. But, okay, so here's the deal. The WHO has, is obviously bought and paid for by China. It has to be. Because, remember, we now know that Fauci and his organization, he's one of the highest paid government um, hacks in Washington, was doing gain-of-function research. It's also come out that he knew about it, and that's why they wanted to hush up the outbreak of COVID. Okay, he lied to Congress about it. This is a fact. And when he was confronted, he refused to say so. So he obviously had a gain there as well. It's also come out since that time that in the gain-of-function research concerning COVID, they were trying to make COVID more dangerous. I do not buy that it was an accident, nor do I buy that it was related to bats whatsoever. There was money. Again, follow the money. Well, the WHO, they were, you know, Taiwan tried to warn the WHO that there was an outbreak of a mysterious disease and they, you know, aren't recognized by the WHO because of China's pressure. So Taiwan is trying to warn. They're like the, one of the closest countries there, obviously, which China wants to take over. And they try to warn the World Health Organization and the World Health Organization dismissed it and said, no, 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 no. That's, you know, because they're not recognized by China. I know I just repeat myself, but I want to make sure you understand. So politics and money unleashed a virus on the world that has had unprecedented consequences, not only all over the world, but in this nation in particular, changed how we vote, changed how we do business, lined the pockets of many, many people because you could no longer go to your store and buy products. You only had the option of shopping online. There's so many things that this virus has done that we're not even going to know the full cost for probably a decade or longer. And then whenever it was time for it to come out that this was a serious problem, the WHO suppressed it. So did Fauci. And then finally, when people started dying, they obviously realized we better straighten up and we better start uh, at least acting like we're concerned. So here we have where the WHO is once again compromised, uh, bought and paid for by the Chinese government. And um, they basically asked China, hey, guys, are y'all doing forced organ uh, harvesting? No, of course not. But we'll check into it and get back to you. Oh, yeah, we checked into it. No, we're not. That's basically what happened. They didn't do any research at all. And then on top of this, the news media has failed to report truthfully on what the CCP is doing. Instead, they've published paid propaganda. This is crazy. Um, one of the guys, the founder of the nonprofit uh, group Doctors Against Forest Organ Harvesting and host of the summit, Dr. Torsten Trey, stated on September 17th that the summit looks, quote, into the role of the news media in the issue of censorship. By default, the first task of the news media is to report facts and truths. However, another important aspect of the media is to connect people. Over the past 15 years since the New York Slimes, oh, I'm sorry, Times, broke the story of forced organ harvesting in China, the mainstream media has failed to connect the people in the free world with the victims of forced organ harvesting in China. This separation 
between the readers and the victims is another often neglected aspect of censorship. So what is he talking about? Just ignore uh, an atrocity. Ignore the um, uh, genocide against the Wiggers. Ignore the fact that they are murdering people for organs. Uh, Ignore all that China is doing because... We don't want to talk about it because they pay our bills. So that is an aspect of censorship. Ignore the story. It's like you got Twitter that um, basically shut down any reporting of the Hunter Biden story, which now has been proven true and which did sway an election, which is against the law, by the way, in the United States of America. That's what's called forced censorship. What he's referring to here as far as the organ harvesting is Eh, we just won't talk about it. That's another form of censorship. Now, a Dr. Weldon Gilcrease of Oncology at the University of Utah School of Medicine, he told the summit that the extensive evidence of forced organ harvesting has gone, gone unrecognized by most of the medical community and most of the world. He's uh, said that he attempted at his own university to stop training Chinese doctors in transplants arguing that they would likely use the knowledge to murder unwilling donors. His administration opposed him, saying that, quote, there's no doubt that forced organ harvesting is happening, but that taking a stance against a large, strong country such as China could be dangerous both to our institution as well as undergraduate and graduate schools that we serve at our university. He was told if we said anything about those atrocities, China would simply send all of its students to Texas. So let me translate that for you. They would lose all the money they're getting from China. It's unbelievable. Um, so basically, we've trained all, all the countries that are, you know, very good at organ transplants and training doctors, have trained numerous Chinese organ or surgeons, and then we've not... Uh, demanded supervision of what we've taught them and we've been tricked in sharing knowledge so that they can kill people for their organs. We have many example, examples of this said a Carlos Iglesias Jimenez, he's an uh, international human rights lawyer in Spain, he said the CCP has infiltrated so many international organizations, the United Nations Human Rights Council, the World Health Organization, the United Nations itself, manage, managing to secure that everything goes unnoticed, that everything is concealed, that these events can never be generally and publicly known by society in the whole world, and they are succeeding with the complicit silence of Western governments and international institutions and international organizations. And then we have, finally, a U.S. Air Force Brigadier General, Robert Spaulding, and he said, quote, political warfare is used to desensitize, to deflect any criticism on understanding of things like the genocide, genocide of the Uyghur population, the lockdown and control of the people of Hong Kong, the mass incarceration and organ harvesting of the Falun Gong, and the outright oppression of certain elements of Chinese population, particularly those that the CCP fears. Now, the Falun Gong is um, an offshoot of the uh, Qijong, I think is how you say it. Um, I guess you would say religion. It's where a lot of the, the oh, like Buddhist, um, what's that stuff called with needles? Acupuncture, things like that. Um, it's the breath work that a lot of um, Buddhist type religions, etc., practice. And it's an offshoot of it, which it does sound pretty crazy and pretty radical. But again, Here's the thing, even if this religious movement is dangerous to the CCP party's ideals, normal countries don't put them in detainment camps. Normal countries don't murder them for their organs. Now, speaking of the UN, let me just read you this. So, at the UN, this is September 22nd, um, of this year, the Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, um, basically said this. Recent developments in the global situation show once again that military intervention from the outside, so-called democratic transformation, until nothing but harm. Now, obviously, he's referring to the United States. The U.S. withdrawal uh, 
from Afghanistan, which was the biggest disaster. And it's another one of those things that we won't know the cost uh, for probably many decades. Um, But basically, he used that situation to paint the United States as an unreliable ally. He also used it to question U.S. democracy uh, and that we ran away, leaving a mess in Afghanistan, Um, which, uh, I mean, is just galling because this was done by our own president, uh, who to me was illegally voted in. But he also used woke language. And we're going to dive into this just a little bit. So woke language is the use of, you know, social justice issues, um, cultural uh, speak, um, especially the appeal to the millennial population. And then you also have, you know, the uh, environmental uh, justice uh, people that they use a specific language to promote these ideas, but usually while they're doing it, they're hiding the things they're doing behind the scenes that are not justice, that are not congruent to the ideals that they espouse. And so here we have the Chinese leader who himself recognizes the importance of using social justice and cultural justice and environmental justice language at the UN. He made what's called an environmental pledge during his speech, stating that, quote, Beijing will not build new coal-fired power projects abroad. Now, of course, he didn't make any comment about the fact that China is the world's largest producer and consumer of coal for all of their coal-fired power uh, projects in their own country. They're just not going to do them in other countries. Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate that you're letting us know that you're not going to do that. Now, of course, they didn't um, talk at all about the broken promises of political freedom for Tibet and Hong Kong. Um, you know, but they've got the pledge, see, now that they won't build any more coal power projects. Of course, they also avoided their growing threat against uh, Taiwan, their massive intellectual property theft, and their transparency on the COVID-19 origins. So uh, just know that any big media, corporation, and now countries that use woke language and make pledges, et cetera, et cetera, are probably hiring, uh, hiding something behind our backs. Now, I want to, um, I may leave that one actually for the end, because I want to talk about the Afghanistan and uh, how bad things might get there with China. So what I want to do is I want to go over to woke.inc. Now that we have all the atrocities, um, the outright disrespect uh, of China toward our country at the UN platform, which the UN is, you know, basically a cover for um, one world government, so I could care less, but they are trying to get the upper hand. Okay, so I'm in chapter eight when dictators become stakeholders. And um, this is uh, Rami or Vivek Ramaswamy's book, uh, where he talks about some of his experiences when he was um, the head of the biotech company that he, I think, founded. And he resigned in an active role because he refused to get into woke politics and to combine those at his biotech company. But he talks about how he was invited October 2017 to Saudi Arabia, to a future investment initiative global conference, and it was dubbed Davos in the Desert. So this is um, hearkening to the World Economic Forum in Davos and then the annual Milken Institute Global Conference in Los Angeles. So it's basically billionaires that get together they use private jets, you know, forget global warming, uh, to travel to all of them. They drink wine in Davos, whiskey in Los Angeles, and sparkling grape juice in Saudi Arabia. And uh, uh, that's uh, his quote. And while he was there, they were talking about spreading technology in the Middle East. Um, but, you know, in all three of those gatherings in the different locations, there's an agenda that entrepreneurs and CEOs are expected to follow, especially young ones like he is, that 
you follow so that you can get investments into your company. And he says, quote, um, and he was a little bit hesitant because, you know, the regime of Saudi Arabia is definitely proven to be uh, dangerous for certain people. Uh, and so they arrive and they were taught, you know, how to um, interact with the, the crown prince. And he says, quote, Upon arriving at the palace, we waited for a couple more hours before being escorted to a special room in the basement. Soon enough, the crown prince arrived. Each CEO stood individually as they spoke and addressed him as your highness and his royal sidekicks as your excellency. I did the same. Several of them expressed fealty to the nation of Saudi Arabia in various ways and volunteered to launch ambitious collaborations with the kingdom to help the crown prince's sweeping vision 2030 plan. I was captivated, fascinated, and even a bit smitten with the new crown prince who, despite being my age, was seemingly determined to modernize an entire society. He was arrestingly knowledgeable to modernize an entire, uh, I'm sorry, uh, arrestingly knowledgeable about different areas of science and technology, spoke fluent English, and listened carefully to what every CEO in the room told him. Shortly after the trip, safely back from the United States, I read in the news that MBS had indefinitely imprisoned nearly 100 business leaders on unspecified charges of corruption. The same hotel where my peers had stayed only weeks ago, the Ritz-Carlton, was used as a makeshift prison to house them. After that, they came for the feminists. As MBS paid lip service to the cause of women's rights, he jailed its most vocal supporters. Feminist leaders were reportedly jailed without charges or trials and then tortured and sexually assaulted. Many of them remain in prison today. Now, after that, uh, the Khashoggi, the contributor to the Washington Post, uh, he was lured into a trap in Turkey when he entered a Saudi consulate in Istanbul to get documents for his upcoming marriage. A team of Saudi operatives were waiting for him, and they tortured him, they strangled him to death, they dismembered his body with a bone saw. Now, this is after the crown prince, you know, voiced that he wanted to have freedoms and more democratic, you know, actions and activities in his country and open up his country to modernization and working with, you know, all different countries and all different organizations from those countries. At the meantime, he's jailing women and having them raped. And then um, he has uh, Khashoggi killed. Uh, Of course, Saudi Arabia denied it, but then they were confronted with overwhelming evidence. It was obviously them. Well, then they denied that the crown prince had anything to do with it. But here's the deal. They sent in a 15-man team, including a forensic doctor. The mission was led by Ahmad al-Assiri, a close advisor to the crown prince. And news reports claimed the crown prince personally assigned the assassination to him. Now, the Saudis deny this, but seven of the 15 hitmen were the crown prince's personal bodyguards. Now, he opens up with this story to just show that when you have dictators like we're you know seeing in China, and of course now we have this Saudi Arabia uh, example, when they start speaking woke, when they start making alleged, you know, like, um, uh, not alleged, but... Um, promises when they start doing this stuff and throwing a bunch of money at what they're doing to prove that they want to expand their country into more democracy and friendly engagement with other countries it is a hundred percent shoe in bet that they are presenting a front but they are trying to warm their way into businesses because china for example wants to dominate the entire world and they know one of the best ways to do that is through money. Where before you would engage people in battle, now it's the money. You still have to have a strong military, though. But it's mainly the money. And uh, he's done business um, in China. And uh, he said it's pretty scary, actually. Um, but he said that rulers like Qi and um, the crown prince are the greatest threat democracy will face over the next uh, decade. And now the dictators have discovered a new arrow in their quiver, wokeness. They even have a new Chinese word for it by Zhao, referring specifically to woke white people, and they use it to laugh at America. 
Okay, so how are they doing this? It's called stakeholder capitalism. And what that means is that in the past with capitalism, you would have shareholders and the corporations were guided in their business dealings by it having a positive impact for shareholders and a positive financial impact for them as well. And so um, the shareholders are those that have bought into um, the, the company and making sure that they're taken care of. Well, they've now switched this to what's called stakeholders, that stakeholders also need to be um, uh, taken care of. So what exactly does that mean? Well, okay, so the difference between a stakeholder and a shareholder as far as capitalism is um, a moral authority. In other words, they will use the idea of stakeholder um, capitalism and add to it this morality in how they do business. So let me, let me real quick, I'm going to go to dictionary.com and grab a real quick definition of stakeholder. Um, that way it can be very clear. Um, okay, so a stakeholder is a person or group that has an investment share or interest in something like a business or an industry. A shareholder is the owner of shares, especially in a company or a corporation. Okay, so it may sound similar, but it looks like those of us that invest in the stock market, they're shareholders. You own shares of the company. And as the company prospers, you prosper. If the company doesn't prosper, you don't prosper. You might lose money. Stakeholder is anyone that has put money into the business, whether it is on Wall Street or outside of it, and most of the stakeholders are outside of it. Okay, so this uh, is remarkable. In January of 2020, Silicon Valley darling Airbnb shocked the business world when it announced it would make decisions based on stakeholders, not shareholders, when it comes to corporate government governance. Among other things, the company planned to hold a stakeholder day as an alternative to the conventional annual shareholder one. CEO Brian Chesky committed to changing the company's compensation program with factors important to stakeholders taken into account when bonuses were calculated. Sometimes woke companies are vague when making statements about stakeholders, but not Airbnb. It made a nice little chart that described the relationships that Airbnb hoped to have with its various stakeholders. Chesky was lionized for the announcement, but it turns out the handy chart conveniently omitted one of one of Airbnb's most important stakeholders, the Chinese Communist Party. Isn't that interesting? Now, months about seven months before they declared their love for stakeholders, Airbnb had hired a person named Sean Joyce, who's a former deputy director of the FBI, as its first chief trust officer. And the purpose of the role was to protect user safety on the platform. Okay, Yet, in a move that Airbnb tried to sweep under the rug, Joyce resigned before the end of the year over concerns about, quote, how the behemoth was sharing data on millions of its users without their knowledge with the Chinese Communist Party. Guests and hosts are at the top of the Airbnb stakeholder list, yet it was stealing and sharing data from both of these stakeholders to share it with even more important one, the CCP. Now, he left because he felt that Airbnb wasn't being transparent with its users on the data that it regularly shares with the CCP. Airbnb continued to expand the scope of data that it shared, according to um, uh, Ramasamy's book. Regularly shared data about American users includes phone numbers, email addresses, and the contents of the messages between users and the company, according to unidentified sources with Airbnb. Now, it appears that Chinese officials privately approached them with an unwritten request for even more data, especially real-time data, about the users. Well, Joyce worried that it would empower the Chinese government surveillance and put mem members of minority ethnic groups at risk. Now, remember, they're rounding up people and putting them in detention camps. So they are want to use this data to arrest people 
to put them in camps or possibly murder them for their organs. I mean, that's what they do. They torture you. They put you in camps. They put you in prison for the rest of your life, or they kill you for your organs. He took his concerns to senior executives, including Brian Chesky, and then a co-founder, Nathan, which I can't even pronounce his last name. Um, And he said, get this. The, The other founder, Nathan, said this. We're not here to promote American values. Hmm. So Joyce resigned. He then made a public statement that is over uh, a difference in values. Mm-hmm. So it, they're not here for American values. And why don't you leave America? Go away. If you don't like this country, get out. I mean, that's the way I look at it. it, it it's infuriating. So he starts a company, him and his co-founder, where they are wildly successful and then they open up your data. I've never stayed in an Airbnb. So they open up your data to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, they may not be too concerned with much of your data, you know, especially if you're just talking about grandkids, etc. But if you're uh, a Chinese native, if you uh, are uh, one of the minorities that they are coming after, it means a whole lot if they're sell- selling or giving them uh, your data. But they're not here to promote American values. Hmm. Uh, also, they have um, used, again, the woke uh, politics and phrases, etc. Um, he says, quote, And no one has mastered this dark art uh, better, which is basically um, saying we support you know, these social justice issues while at the same time violating those social justice issues or using it as a cover for nefarious practices with dictators. Um, it's very, very interesting when you start diving into his book, which I highly recommend. I mean, it really is recommended reading Woke Inc. So this ability to um, promote social justice causes while at the same time h- hiding injustices, uh, he says, no one has mastered this dark art better than China. And some, here's how the game works. First, Black Lives Matter activists or environmentalists or feminists or whoever become the front for American technology companies to win consumer trust. Second, those companies monetize that trust by generating clicks, selling ads, and charging fees, generating a treasure trove of sensitive, personalized data about each of their consumers. Third, the CCP demands access to that data as a condition for entry in country, in an entry for countries to do business in China. Fourth, these companies supplicate to the CCP and make a killing in China. Fifth, they keep mum about their dealings in China while continuing to issue woke proclamations through their corporate megaphones. BLM wins, Silicon Valley wins, the CCP wins, but the real losers of this game are the American people. So for a lot of people that are progressives, far-left liberals, you know, it's easier to trust a company that has a black square on their Instagram page than actually doing research to look into, okay, what's actually happening? Who is this company in bed with? And all you have to do is pay attention to what they're censoring or what they're leaving out, which will point to the major media as well as being bought and paid for. Uh, by China. So the deeper problem arises when the CCP flexes its muscle as a gatekeeper to the Chinese market to then convince corporations to spread the CCP's own values abroad. So that's why the founder, the co-founder of Airbnb, said they're not here to promote America's values because they're here to promote China's. Over the last few years, the Chinese government has detained more than 1 million uh, Uyghurs in concentration camps. The Uyghurs are the large are a large ethnic minority who have lived in the Xinjiang region of China for at least a thousand years. Over the centuries, they've gradually become predominantly Muslim, the heart of the cultural conflict between them and the CCP. The CCP at first denied that it was detaining Uyghurs at all. When confronted with satellite photographs of its camps, they claimed they were re-education camps meant to end the threat of Uyghur Islamic extremism, which has led to a number of terrorist attacks in the last decade. But the CCP's take on education looks a lot, a lot like cultural genocide to most Westerners. Chinese police look for signs of, quote, religious extremism, such as owning books about Uyghur history, growing a beard, having a prayer rug, or quitting drinking and smoking. They install cameras in private homes 
Men are imprisoned without trial or charges for reciting verses from the Quran at funerals. Wives are sent to concentration camps surrounded by barbed wire fences if their husbands are under suspicion. Inmates at the camps are beaten, insulted, and forced to write self-criticism essays and sing hymns in praise of the Communist Party. They're also forced to labor in factories producing goods for China to export. The CCP claims it's just giving them training and jobs, but the Uyghurs aren't given a chance to say no. And as we've also found out, they're um, doing forced sterilization. It's amazing. While the Uyghurs suffered the worst of China's atrocities, they are far from alone. The Chinese Communist Party has taken advantage of their free reign given, it, given to it by the global pandemic to extend its brutal hand outward. Its soldiers attacked Indian ones on the supposedly demilitarized border uh, in L-A-D-A-K-H, killing dozens in hand-to-hand fighting and executing the wounded by pushing them over a cliff. They're also rapidly building amphibious assault ships and aiming them squarely at Taiwan. It takes the U.S. years to build one of these, uh, but the uh, Chinese are churning out a new one every six months. But don't worry. They support social justice issues, and they're not going to build any coal uh, required projects outside of China. But, the, you know, that's no big deal. The long arm of the C- CP have also reached all the way to America, too. When Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey tweeted from his personal account in support of Hong Kong, saying, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, the CCP was incensed. Turns out the Rockets do a lot of business in China, largely thank- thanks to ex- ex-Rocket star Yao Ming, and the NBA is trying to make inroads in the vast basketball-crazy Chinese market. In other words, China is a big stakeholder in the Rockets' business, and they flex their muscle. The Chinese consulate in consulate in Houston denounced Mori. Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets' owner, followed suit. Daryl Mori does not speak for the Houston Rockets. The Chinese Basketball Association announced it would cease all cooperation with the Rockets. The NBA issued a statement calling Maury's tweet regrettable. The Rockets were reportedly considering firing Maury to appease China. All Chinese broadcasters refused to show any NBA games. Nike pulled all its Rockets gear from the stores in China. Isn't that amazing? And then, of course, everybody started apologizing. But... And all of that, for him standing with Hong Kong, the whole affair exposed a darkly hilarious truth, he writes. The NBA and its stars felt duty-bound to criticize America's president and judicial system, but they consider it beyond the pale to criticize China's. That's all they did for four years, criticize President Trump, who brought unprecedented prosperity, religious freedom, uh, and growth as a nation until China released a virus. And then you've got Disney. So Disney apparently isn't too upset about all the concentration camps. Um, It got to film Milan there. In the movie's credits, it thanked the CCP's propaganda bureau in Xinjiang for its assistance. Meanwhile, back at home, Disney CEO said it would be very difficult for Disney to film movies in Georgia if it implemented a new abortion ban because people wouldn't want to work there. Hmm. But they're not concerned with the forced sterilization of people in China. Okay. Uh, Also, woke critics howled, you know, when Disney uh, committed the cardinal sin of whitewashing by making an Asian character a white one. Um, They missed a real move making a Tibetan character a white one because China doesn't recognize uh, Tibet. Yep. It's amazing. China has falsely claimed that black Americans are being slaughtered. And they hope that the United States will uh, do better on humans, human rights. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and the American people um, would never let that happen, these atrocities, the, the things that are going on, if they actually knew. Stakeholder capitalism is dangerous. It tricks us into allowing large multinational companies and the dictatorial overlords abroad to do what we would never allow them to do if we knew what was actually happening. 
Companies like Airbnb, Disney, and the NBA gain moral clout when they preach about how they care about stakeholders at home, but then they turn around and use that moral clout to implicitly endorse atrocities abroad when foreign dictators flex their own stakeholder status. That's the key difference between stakeholder and shareholder capitalism. If corporations never gained unearned moral authority to begin with, they wouldn't be weaponized so easily by authoritarian stakeholders. So this... You know, I mean, it's incredible. The tentacles that this country, China, has gotten in our nation, uh, the goods that we purchase, the um, media, uh, our sports, um, the big tech, all of that. It is unbelievable. And, you know, President Trump and how he dealt with China I don't, I don't know enough details, except I do know that there are times I wish he would have been tougher. I understand um, maybe why people are reluctant to be as tough on China as we need to be because of how much economic clout they have. But if we don't do something, all of America, you might as well just put a, a made in China. And by the way, there's a reason that Biden is called China Joe. So you might want to look into his dealings with them. But, you know, you've got, um, and I want to end with this, because I don't think there's anything else in the book. I mean, I've got a few more quotes. Um, But with Google, okay, Google first drafted its code of conduct for employees in 2000, and it included a line that said, don't be evil. Now, it went abroad to do business in China, and they create a Chinese search engine. Now, what they included in the search engine was the ability for China to censor from 2006 to 2010. So they built censorship into the platform. That should tell you something, because they've also censored us in America, which we'll get into later uh, in different episodes. Okay. After they became a victim of Chinese hacking efforts, Google eventually announced they would no longer comply with mainline China censorship, and they relocated to Hong Kong. Now, they um, gave lip service to freedom of speech, and they earned Google applause. Yay! They're getting out of China. That's so awesome. However, unbeknownst to virtually all of the company's employees, a team of engineers were assigned to work on a search system codenamed Dragonfly that would require users to log in to perform searches. It would track their location and share their data with a Chinese partner that would have unilateral access to that data. Terms like human rights, student protests, would be blacklisted. Being evil was back in style, it appears. It was only when the internal memo about this project was leaked to The Intercept and the company was embarrassed that they shuttered this effort. Now, they may try to revive it in uh, upcoming years. Why? Money. But basically, while they're saying we can no longer do business in China because they are an evil empire, blah, blah, they do that. They go to Hong Kong, and then they are quickly hired by China to create an even more invasive search engine that bans all articles all over the world on anything that has to do with human rights. Now, you tell me, you do a search and you try to find positive things about President Trump and what he did through Google. It's almost impossible. In fact, it's worse since Biden was elected. But I started noticing this trend way before the election of 2020. I'm like, why can I not find anything positive whatsoever about Mr. Trump? It was ridiculous. The only reason I knew of some of the things was the Epoch Times and Daily Wire, uh, even Fox News before they turned on this country. And um, it's because they've been censoring stuff for a very long time. And then you have Apple. It's removed from its Chinese app store messaging apps that allow users to bypass government-imposed firewalls. And they hid the uh, Taiwanese flag emoji from users in Hong Kong, Macau. It's also removed songs from iTunes that reference uh, Tiananmen Square. It's amazing. He goes on and on. BlackRock and Fink, social responsibility page for elite firm McKinsey and company who has um, 
been in bed with uh, dictators. Even the sequel to Top Gun, which is going to be uh, released in 2021. In the original film, Tom Cruise wears a leather bomber jacket that belonged to his late father. And on the jacket, it had his dad's U.S. Navy tours, and it included flags from allies like Taiwan and Japan. But for the sequel, they removed them. I like how he pointed out that the more we go woke, the easier it becomes for countries like China, China to co-op woke methods to serve their own ends, kind of like the whole forced organ harvesting. Uh, the one product of wokeness on college campuses is the emergency of trigger warnings to students before being exposed to ideas that may challenge their presuppositions on social questions like race, gender, or climate change. It turns out that China took note of the effectiveness of this woke movement in 2020 based on a new Chinese law. Top universities, including Harvard and Princeton, have begun to label certain courses with a warning label if they teach any material that China may consider sensitive. And there's a growing list of topics that they want off limits. In response at Princeton, students in a Chinese politics class now use code instead of names on their essays to protect their identities. I mean, that's crazy. The fear that China has inspired in America is um, crazy. It's really, really crazy. China and Saudi Arabia have cracked the code of stakeholder capitalism. They realize the simple truth, the same one I learned years ago during my summer at Goldman Sachs. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. I want to finish with the Saudi Arabia story. And I want to read um, this paragraph page 178 out of Woking. The public outrage from the business community about Khashoggi's assassination was short-lived. U.S. companies' condemnations of the murder were motivated by the acute demands of social justice activists, but those demands were fleeting as the activists eventually found other causes to champion. The initial fever pitch gradually gave way to silence and the cost-benefit analysis for multinational corporations tipped back, tipped back in favor of monarchical deference. Fund managers and corporate executives gradually went back to doing business in Saudi Arabia, just as they had done before. Richard Branson had rejected the proposed Saudi investment in Virgin, Virgin Galactic in 2018, but by the next fall, has his affiliated company Virgin Hyperloop was doing business in Saudi Arabia again. Indeed, in 2019, Virgin Hyperloop CEO said it was delighted to return to the Future Investment Initiative Conference, which Branson had boycotted a, only a year prior. Uber CEO Dora, I can't even pronounce his last name, retrieved from his initially critical stance in 2018. During a November 2019 interview, he said the murder of Khashoggi was a mistake, but that Uber had made mistakes too with self-driving. Drawing an equivalence between a targeted assassination of a journalist and a pedestrian accident involving a self-driving car. McKinsey and company went back to charging a small fortune for advising clients on how to do business in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The cottage industry built around opening up personal connections in the Middle East was once again humming. I have the resource um, Save America, Take Action at thehubapostolic.com, which I highly recommend that you download. But we're going to have to start, we're going to have to start being very selective in our purchases. Um, we're going to have to start pressuring our government, our elected officials to deal with this Chinese problem. Many of them are bought and paid for as well, by the way, Republicans, Democrats, independents, it doesn't matter. Um, if they're not bought and paid for by China, a lot of them are bought and paid for by George Soros. I mean, the list goes on and on, which by the way, George Soros, what he has done, you haven't heard a lot about him. What he's doing is he's funding local elections. That's why the LA, uh, district attorney is crazy. Uh, in New York, uh, AOC has been funded by him. The guy from Georgia has been funded by him. So he's actually paying in going into local government, uh, city, county, and state to get his agenda done. Well, we're going to have to watch out for these things. We're going to have to see where these dictators, these uh, uh, wannabe dictators in these countries that have dictators, 
where are they putting their efforts? Because where they're putting their efforts is because they see an opportunity. And we need to also pay attention to that and take opportunity to prevent them from gaining inroads. And be active. Uh, Start committees on Um, like centered around specific issues. Like for example, have a committee for school boards and holding them accountable. Have committees that insist on new voter laws that will protect our future elections because this country is over if we don't have um, voter reform uh, in honest elections. Have committees that will focus on ending the special status that big tech social media platforms have. Demand greater and greater accountability. Don't buy Starbucks coffee because they're anti-American. Don't do business with Airbnb. Find other ones. You know, it's it, it's probably going to be impossible to boycott all of them, but to the best of your ability. Maybe you don't want to boycott Airbnb because that's where your property is. Okay, well, at least don't use email and encourage your customers maybe to not use emails with their itinerary, itinerary, et cetera, where it could be tracked. I don't know. Just we've got to start pushing back because if you want to know where the power is, it's who has the gold, right? Are we accidentally and unintentionally falling into the trap of not being willing to make decisions to boycott and to isolate companies that do business like this because that's where the money is. If you don't feel led, if you don't feel like you're being told to stop doing business with specific companies, then at the very least, start alerting with urgent education what these businesses are doing. Share this podcast. Share other podcasts that are making it plain. You know, do what you need to do to make it very plain that America is at danger through these countries because of money. Now, we know in the book of Revelation that Babylon has all the merchants that are drunk on the blood of the saints. We know that's where it's going at the end of the age. So that's not the question. That's not what we're fighting against, at least not right now. The question is, is America going to be a sheep nation. A sheep nation is determined by how it treats the least of these, Jesus' brethren, which includes, by blood, Israel, and by spirit, Christians. That is what we're trying to focus in on. And so by doing very active steps, urgent education, forming committees to demand change in our government before it's too late, then hopefully we can put a stop to some of this stuff. And anytime you see a corporation or a country starting to speak woke, all you got to do is a little bit of research and see what they're hiding. And we'll get into more of that in the future. But for now, let's get to some good news. All right. So let me take you to our good news in New Jersey. I'm going to try to say the name Port Monmouth, I guess is how you say it. Um, And it was uh, or is the story of a six-year-old Jimmy who has autism. And his bus for school arrived. It had stopped. and It was at the height of rush hour on this very busy road. Uh, Lights are flashing uh, on the bus. A long line of cars had started to form on either side of it. And some of the cars had started to honk while Jimmy was having a rough time getting on there, which, you know, if you've met anybody with autism or you may have a child with autism, you know this could be a very stressful experience. And his mother, Teresa, was at a loss for what to do. Well, then a police officer arrived, and with a simple fist bump from the officer, Jimmy was on his way to school. So the mom is desperate to find that officer, make sure he gets the thanks he deserves. She calls him her family's angel. And she said, it was amazing. I am so filled with gratitude right now. There are good people out there. And I was blessed to meet one this morning. So on that note, God bless our law enforcement, our first responders, and God bless America.